Welcome to the My Rules of Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay. Last Sunday, last Sunday evening, I had recorded a 15 minute long My Rules of Better, just about to do post production on it, when a cat that we own, a cat that owns us, a cat that we have, have cohabited with for more than about 15 years now, disappeared a week or so before the recording of the podcast. So literally, as I was coming to do the production on the podcast, the post-production, after I'd done all the leveling and what have you, I received a call that the cat had been found. And as I had referenced the cat going missing as being part of my sleep-deprived and otherwise hellish week in the recording, I thought, well, a lot of this recording is now null and void. Well, not necessarily a lot of the recording, but probably about two minutes worth of recording. And I thought, I probably need to get some sleep, reflect a little bit more on the things that are making me happy in this world. Yes, it's a small list, but there are a few. And... Just, yeah, put out a better podcast, basically, because the previous one was mm, not necessarily mired by <laughs> lack of sleep and general existential gloom. But yeah, I just thought, look, there's going to come a time and I'll record a My Rules Better for the listening audience. And Saturday morning, today, that is the time. So, so much has gone on since the last recording. So much has gone on and I don't even know, I mean, I've got a list of notes here. That's how much has gone on since the last recording. I wanted to start by saying that Barney Dicker invited me to a game. I attended a game with him now three weeks ago, I think, which just indicates how long it's been since I last put out a recording. And I've appeared on Barney's Loco Ludus podcast to talk a little bit about the game. But in summary here, you see, this was the thing that captured me in sleep deprivation in the last recording. Let me just say in summary here, I think Barney's taken seriously my feedback, and I don't think Barney's taken seriously Spencer's feedback. And he's kind of wrapped it into this beautiful thing with a little bow, where basically at the end of it he says, everything that happened in the game could have been outside the realm of magic. It's just like, okay, that's an interesting way of caveating what our general experiences were. That was my experience. My view is that Barney is going to come to some realisation associated with where he would like magic to be in this game, and I hope everyone else who, who plays or masters the game or whatever runs the game has their own perspective of magic and ideally dials it down a little bit from Barney's perspective. But yeah, it was kind of curious that... Well, it's not a two-to-one ratio at all. Two of the players have very specific views, myself included, associated with the fact that magic overstepped the bound. And the one magic user in the game was like, no, this is perfectly fine, absolutely fine. <laughs> but he's like, yes, I agree with the minority here. Absolutely fine. So anyway, I should probably not narrate too much of this stuff, aside from saying that the one thing that came out of the game was the sense that I needed to run a game of Alluvial Plains. And I think I need to do that for a number of reasons. I mean, mainly my feeling was just, I think it's it's a rule system which is sufficiently minimalist to still fit in with my gaming philosophies. I also have a very old book written by a fellow called William Buckland, Associate, he was a, I don't know, he was a theologian amongst other things. He did a wide variety of things. Just a regular early, you know, 19th century polymorph. He was before, he was like a generation before Darwin. So he found some human bones and some mammoth bones in a cave together in South Wales. And this is the basis of the book that I own. Now I have both the original copy, like the first edition, and also a modern reprint. So I can thumb through the modern reprint. But actually, very little of this is to do with The Hunt, which is the game that I'm running. It's supposed to be a single-session game. It's going to be very, very interesting. I think I'm actually going to, like, give blocks of information to people early on, and that is probably going to be one of the things I work on this weekend. But it's the idea of not even a tribe, just a group of families, where the previous hunt, which was about five years previous, basically devastated the families. The male adult leadership of the families all 
went on the hunt and all disappeared. So that's the origins of the game. There's some interfamily politics as well, but the main aspect of it is that there are at least four monstrous creatures and at least four more, we were talking about species, of just like multiple times the size of human creatures out there in this environment. I just thought it was a really interesting, you know, practical nature of the people at the time that they had to deal with these creatures that could just absolutely cause all kinds of havoc. But even more curiously, the more that I go through this space in terms of my own thinking, the miraculous nature of actually slaying one of these monstrous creatures through any means is just something that's captivating me. I'm looking at various, you know, various methods of hunting these creatures and in particular trying to look at the historical, well, there are no historical records, but just some kind of description associated with, you know, where bones had cutting marks and this kind of stuff. And you look at just the scale of these creatures versus a, a humanoid, uh, and you just, it just boggles the mind. So anyway, I've got to explore that through the hunt. I think I've said enough about the hunt at this stage. The lead pile has been, well, I've received the second last parcel from the east coast of the lead pile. It was a parcel that was so big, I normally take an evening to repack, and this one I just, after about an hour and a half, just said, okay, I've still got a box to repack, I can't repack it. It was probably the quintessential group of miniatures where I just thought, I'm not really interested in the majority of this. There's a small number of, of goblins, and a small number of... You know, like there's the dad's army um, home guard in there. But aside from that, it's the Union American Civil War Winter Army. And it's a bunch of Indian Wars kind of combination, you know, French Canadians, Americans, Indians, British, all kinds of crazy stuff. So n none of these really tick my boxes. The final package is all, not the final package, so it's yet to unwrap. But the final package that's coming from this painter is all Second World War, 28mm and 20mm with vehicles. And that I'm looking forward to actually receiving. But the cost associated with this, so the, the, the thing that I received most recently, in cost terms, is about 10 weeks of Roachy Roachwood's work in the UK. And 10 weeks of Roachy Roachwood's work in the UK would be a similar volume, I think, maybe slightly more in terms of volume, but it just has this amazing stuff that Roach is currently putting out, which I post on Facebook and the My Rules Are Better Facebook page as well. So just the money, the value just doesn't seem to be there for what I have currently. This was more just like a, I've got to get the lead out to be painted kind of, I don't know what one would call it. I mean, just something that happened two odd years ago that's just coming back to haunt me. So the fact that I have literally a case worth of, American Civil War and Indian Wars stuff that I have to repack now. It's just like, ugh. I'll probably get to it sometime this weekend. I've got to get it done. At the conclusion of my discussion with Barney Dicker on his Loco Ludus podcast, after the mics were off and we'd said goodbye to one another, as we do formally, we'd usually have a chat. And my big news, which I don't know if it's actually made anything in the public domain yet, because I'm yet to edit the model rail radio that we're or well, a couple of model rail radios where it's discussed explicitly, is sometime between March and May next year, my wife and I are going to be having twin girls. And what that means for me in terms of time, location, all these kind of things. So the Vegas move was supposed to be moving into our house in Las Vegas, but our house was trashed by the tenant who stopped paying rent in March, right? So 
my wife and I looked at just the five minutes worth of video footage after the sheriffs had gone into the house and just realized this thing, we've got to just get rid of this. We don't want to set foot on this property ever again. It's just, it's brutalized beyond description. Let's just move on. So we're putting that house on the market and according to our realtor in the area, it will sell very quickly. And then we're buying another house in Las Vegas that we can move into and take the, the twin girls and, you know, live out a few months of our lives just getting adjusted to having twin girls. And then in terms of my 7.30 to, to 6.30, I'm taking some time off that, obviously. And I don't know. I mean, the anticipation is a few months after I take time off that, I'll return to work. And then periodically, I guess I'll return to podcasting. Model Rail Radio, the, the folks have agreed to record audio and submit it. With my rules are better, I think it'll just be quiet for a few months while I learn to speak again and do other things. It was interesting when I spoke to Barney Dicker about this specifically. He said, well, you've got to do this, 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 and this. You've got to get out the, uh, you know, the just plain chaos rules and forget that whole sea line thing. Put that sea line thing aside. You just, you know, Barney Dicker is my agent. It's a beautiful thing. No, I said to him, no. <laughs> I said, firstly... The evolution of this thing, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes, is beyond, like, understanding remotely. You can't understand, you know, the nature of my sleep patterns and my working patterns, particularly with regards to software versus written text, which a lot of this has got to do with. I said, look, I don't even think I said this to him out loud, but I have a block of text for Just Plain Chaos, which is the actual background book behind it, which is probably about 200, eh, maybe 100 hours away from completion. So my view would be to get that out first, then to get out the scenario book, which I don't know how long is away from completion, but certainly more time than I can amass between now and, and March next year. And then just periodically kind of add to this. I have a very strong sense of the nature of what one does after hours versus the nature of what one does for one's job. And this allows me to have a huge amount of slack in the stuff that I do after hours and still feel perfectly comfortable with it. I first wrote about this in 2004, in IEEE Computer Graphics and Applications. That's an academic, well, it's an engineering text. Anyway, and I just said that you've got to plan, you know, plan these projects 5, 10, 25 years in advance. It's just the nature of, you know, the way I project my life with a view. Uh, one, one hopes to be on the rock in 25 years' time, but, you know, the, you've just got to project in the future like this because otherwise you're going to be very frustrated when you're just completely burnt out. So... My perspective on this thing is that these things are going to continue on. And I still have the, um, the yet, um, well, it's not yet unnamed rule system. It's the, the rule system that, you know, I've yet to put out in any formality associated with the kind of dark ages. So anyway, my view is that what happens in sometime between March and May, clearly incredibly life changing. And no doubt in my voice timbre alone, you will, you will hear the difference when this thing occurs. But yeah, it's something where I can't force myself to do after hours work leading up to this momentous event. And I just need to be comfortable with that fact. And I've got a, a lifetime of being comfortable with that kind of stuff. So let's talk about the sea line in the room. This thing has become now, there are many different stages to this project. The current stage of the project is tra taking existing maps and translating them into vector maps, which means taking existing maps and then rewriting them in this primitive like vector language json which is j-s-o-n um well it's being utilized here as a, a vector language and then recreating these maps and comparing them to the original maps to see if there's if it's right basically if it's comparable the part of it that i'm at currently is associated with building a 
single-use rendering engine. So literally taking the written map information that I've created, doing a rendered map output of that and putting that next to the existing map or overlaying that on the existing map. And that's where I'm at with this project currently. It's not a project that really can be forced. It's a project that has taken already a lot of time and will take a lot of time more. But I think what you get out of this is a quality and the the quality of the data, I think, is really very important, even as used in a you know gaming sense, like a, a tabletop gaming sense. I think the quality of the data is incredibly important. I'm starting with a town called Ashford, which is in Kent, and I'm just doing the rendering and modeling around that initially to see if it plays out well in Ashford. It'll play out well in you know Canterbury. It'll play out well in, in Foxton. It'll play out well in, hopefully, London. So that's the direction that that is taking. And it's really... The time of my awake life where I'm kind of non-linguistic, this is the, where I'm working on it currently. So hopefully that will make some sense to some of you. But yeah, it is something that I think, if it's done to a certain quality, will engage people. And my thought is, I've been watching a lot of Twitch streaming. It, my thought is that it'll come to a stage where I can actually Twitch stream some of this, which will get an audience, which I wouldn't necessarily get through YouTube or just you know podcasts or general conversation. And I think that's incredibly important. Now, you may wonder, well, what happens to Just Playing Chaos? Does it become a, you know, what's the computer simulation aspect of this? Well, there isn't any currently. Sea Lion is the computer simulation aspect of this. And part of it is just to get better insights. The written history, in particular, kinds of Dad's army histories that came out well after the fact, just don't give the kind of day-to-day practical insight. And it's interesting because I've kind of, generated an after-hours career of, of gaining insight through simulation, which one day, no doubt, Barney Dicker and I will have a conversation about. And in addition to this, I mean, I've talked a little bit about the hunt, I've talked a little bit about the lead pile. I think if I was to reflect on the past year, in particular, bringing the attic down, consolidating, looking at what I find is important, and then discarding a good portion of the remainder, it's something that still sticks with me that I think my... My identity as a participant, both an active player, a, a rules, I don't know, creator, an analyzer, what have you, all these various components are, have been refined in the past year. And they've been fi- refined in the past year fundamentally through physical stuff going through my hands. Me holding stuff, looking at stuff, and realizing this stuff isn't really important for me. And in the video compliment, the video YouTube compliment to this particular podcast i talk quite heavily about not buying any further rules and realizing that the miniatures are one thing even within the miniatures the lead pile has dictated to me and i've got to stop buying these things unless they're absolutely beautiful and created by kev adams i think they're the two caveats but aside from that i've got enough miniatures i don't need any more <laughs> occasional kev adams stuff aside and really the rewards that i'm getting currently i, I think about this with regards to Rochi Rochford, and this is Something I reflect on quite a bit, that the Roji Rochford interaction is even probably better than the Fred Reed interaction was more than a decade ago, maybe 15, 16 years ago. And the relationship that I have with a painter over a long period of time, painting, you know, some of my stuff is genuinely important to me. It's actually, it's probably the closest thing to kind of day to day friendship that I would generally experience. And it is really funny because you're effectively paying this person to communicate with you. But at the same point, create this stuff. So I don't know. I don't know where I sit with regards to it. I think sometime through next year, the Rochi Rochi commissions are just going to dry up. I think there's a finite amount of lead and he's going through it at some speed. 
And then my whole representation with this thing, this gaming thing, will be, you know, probably completely and utterly rewritten through having twin daughters. I think the aspects of play, adventure, rule systems, light rule systems, you know, these aren't the, you know, zero to three or four years of age thing. Although four, you're getting there. But yeah, I think it's interesting just seeing, rather than seeing through, you know, reading or observation or these kind of things, seeing through practical entities in front of me, I think is going to open up, you know, completely different and unchanneled thinking. That's my hope anyway, that this will provide some degree of fascination. And through that, I mean, something that I've kind of lamented when I've talked to Matthew Gibson and Barney Ticker is the ability of utilizing another generation to understand these things and having twin daughters in particular makes that a different proposition in many regards my hope is that some some small cultivation of history some small interest in history might come through and my wife points out that i pepper history into almost everything you know just talk about historical you know relevance of certain things so but you know this is to be continued this is to be found out i have a an active participant on Model Rail Radio who, when he first called in, lamented the fact that his daughters had banned him from talking about trains with his grandson. And then slowly but surely, the grandson has kind of picked up trains anyway. But the whole nature of what experiences had his daughters had with the train hobby that made them so negative to actually say something like that up front? Like, were they dragged to train shows? Did they have these experiences that were... Or maybe it's more a social phenomena of just having a father that's interested in these things around peers. So this whole tapestry is uh, fascinating me, but to be continued over a three to five year period. And I'm not a traditional game player. I don't have a lot of board games or these kind of things. The nature of games for me is considerably more cerebral and when miniatures are involved, it gets more interesting. But, you know, I do wonder, I do wonder what it's going to teach me anyway. Somewhat calming, somewhat reflective, a good ending to this particular recording. I endeavour to record at least a couple more of these before we move to Las Vegas. We probably will be moving to Las Vegas now projected in a January, February timeframe. And I have at least the hunt to go through before we leave. So Tom Barbelay, currently in San Jose, signing out.